on. I'm on. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Everybody alive and well? And, and, and you know what? It's all good today. The bathrooms work. You weren't here last week. There was a challenge. But uh, it's all good. It's great to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? It's good to be in God's place. And it's always good to see you folks. It's good to spend time with you and, and always good to see, uh, get to spend some time with Pastor Mike and his lovely wife, June. And um, unfortunately, my lovely wife is still not here. She is in Dallas, Texas today. And um, her work took her there. But at the same time, she had the opportunity to go down and spend a couple days with uh, her very best friend throughout the years who lives in Dallas and, and whose mom just passed away recently. So she kind of got a chance to go down and just spend some time with her. So it's, it's all good, except I don't get to eat near as well. <clears throat> but that being said... Uh, I'm, I really believe that God has, has uh, allowed us to, to spend some time together to, to talk and allow me to just to, as your pastor said, uh, last week's message was, I'm not sure what he meant by simple, but that's just who I am. I'm simple. But I'm not nearly as brilliant and theological student as your pastor. Because he went to CBC. I went to North Central. And he thinks CBC is much better than North Central. But we all know that North Central still exists. <laughs> no, no. Your wife, uh, your, your, uh, June actually went to the same, she went to Evangel College where my wife went. And uh, so they, they have that in common. Um, I don't. I just. I believe that if people can't understand what you're saying, it doesn't make any difference. You can be as smart as you want to be, but if they aren't going to understand what you're trying to communicate, see, the gospel is about communication. We have to come where people. Billy Graham said, what he did when he prepared his messages, he started like he was preaching to a third grader. I said, you were right at about my level. <clears throat> And uh, I think he did pretty good. But I think we have, to, we have to communicate. And the same thing when you go out into your world. Uh, when I was at North Central, we had a, we had a couple of guys that, were, that did uh, comedy and skits and things like that. And they did this thing about, about uh, how we talk. Christianese. And it was just absolutely hilarious. I literally fell on the floor laughing because I said, that's exactly how we do it. You know, one, one guy came out, you know, and he was like a, this was back in, this, this would have been, they were kind of going back into the 70s and 80s, you know, when they were, one guy came out as a stoner. I mean, he, he was dressed all long hair, you know, sunglasses, hey man, what's up, dude? And then the other guy comes out in a, in a, in a black blazer with white pants and white shoes and a big bright red tie with a huge cross around his neck and a family Bible, like 40 pounds, you know. And he came out and said, hey, 
Hey, have you been, have you, have you been saved? He said, oh, yeah. He said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, I was at camp one day, and I was in the lake, and I went down for the third time, and he saved me. Give me well, how about, no, 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 no. Have you been washed in the blood? And the guy said, yuck. Ooh, yuck. Ooh. But that's sometimes, now that's, that's an extreme example. But sometimes we, we kind of don't always communicate in a way that people can actually understand. Now hopefully, when we, when we deliver the word of God from the pulpit, we communicate in a way that people can understand and grasp and take hold of and apply to their lives. This morning I want us to, to focus on the fact of knowing God, the art of worship. And we're speaking about worship and how 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 that applies to us knowing God. Last, last week, I, I don't know if I shared it with you as a congregation, but I know I shared it with the, the worship team, is that Jack Hafer used this, this statement that said, there is a difference between exaltation and encounter. It's great to exalt the Lord, but I pray that when we come into the place of the Lord and we come into worship, that we come to encounter encounter God. We need to encounter God. Sometimes I, I really feel like we are, we are afraid to encounter God. But we need to be willing to encounter God because we, when we encounter God, there are things that will take place in our lives that cannot take place any other way. A.W. Tozer says, there is a chasm of difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And I don't think it's any question that you and I live in a world where there are multitudes of people who know about God, but there is a very small fraction who actually know God. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I pray that before we leave this place today, that you will transition from only knowing about God to at least having a deep desire to know God. The psalmist David in, in Psalm 100, which is one of the iconic psalms, especially when it comes to worship, says, Shout to, for joy to the Lord. Do you know that the word shout is used to refer to worship more than any other form of worship. You read through the Psalms, and you will find that the word, the term shout, is used more than any other term. And yet, it's probably the least used in our service. Now, I'm not purporting that you should come in here yelling and screaming and shouting. But I am saying it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Shout to the Lord with a song of triumph. <laughs> I knew she was going to do that. <clears throat> I knew it. <laughs> That's why I like having her in my service. <clears throat> you know, can I just, what time do I got to be done? 
10 o'clock? Okay, I'll, I'll make it. Um, I had the privilege a number of years ago, you'll, you'll know this. <laughs> I, had to, I got to preach for Spencer Jones. South side of Chicago. All black church. Spencer's been a friend of mine for years, and so he asked, wanted me to come and preach. And he had a lady in his church. Her name was Sister Luther. Sister Luther had a master's degree in music, and she was a great lady, but she, when you went to preach at, at Spencer's church, she would preach you down. I mean, you go to a black church, you don't have to encourage people to talk to you. They'll talk to you when you preach. And, and so when you're preaching, Sister Luther, you're, you're making a point, she's yeah, come on now, come on now. That's the word. Come on, preach it some more. <laughs> I love it. But I'd been there, I'd know, got to know her before from some other things. And so when I got to his church, I said, Sister Luther, it's good to see you this morning. I said, but Sister Luther, can you help me out? Can you take it easy on this white boy? <clears throat> and she laughed. And, and she still didn't. <laughs> Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Let's see a happy face. It's not just a, a emoticon. Know that the Lord, come before him with joyful songs. I don't want to hear funeral dirges. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. I want you to really understand. Know the Lord. He is God. It is He who made us. We are the sheep of His pasture. We are His people. Remember, we did not choose Him. He chose us. We might think we chose to become a believer, but he chose us first. We just accepted the invitation. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I'm going to talk more about that in a little while. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures. Here's a phrase you will read all throughout the Psalms. And his love endures, endures, endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. A.W. Tozer again says, While many people may worship without a formal creed, it is impossible to worship acceptably without some knowledge of the one that we seek to worship. Remember when God told Moses, well, uh, when God told Moses to build a place where his spirit would abide, the tabernacle was a model for true worship. God asked Moses, I want you to build this place. And it was the tabernacle of the Old Testament. And it was a place where his spirit would abide and the people would know that his spirit was always going to be there. And I, I spoke a little bit about this last week, that that's what this place is to be. And here's how that place was built. First of all, you came into that tabernacle through the gate of thanksgiving. You enter into the, into the worship through thanksgiving, and then you come into the courtyard of praise. 
And then once you are in the courtyard of praise, you will encounter the altar of sacrifice where you will place a, 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 an offering on that altar for the remission of sin. And then you would move from there to the labor of cleansing where the sanctification process takes place. Now, if you, if you study this, at, I don't have time to get into it all this morning, but you understand that there is a difference between forgiveness of sin and sanctification. Because how many know that when you come to Christ, everything that was not good in your life doesn't automatically go away immediately? It is a process of becoming sanctified by the washing of the Word of God in your life. So there's a sanctification process that they had to, first of all, go to the labor of cleansing and wash themselves as a symbol of sanctifying themselves. And then from there, the priest would go into the holy place. And in the holy place, there was the candlestick, which was represented of the people of God, the congregation of God. And then once a year, that high priest was able to enter into the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the, and the holy presence of God would come. And, and it's interesting because he always had a rope tied around his ankle and bells around the bottom of his garment in case God didn't care for him too much. Because if that was the case, they were going to be dragging him out of there by that rope dead. So I really never had a great desire to be the high priest. <laughs> but it was once a year. The high priest got to go into the Holy of Holies as the representative of the Israelis, Israelites. And then the Holy Spirit and God's presence would come into that place. And we know that when Jesus stretched his arms on that cross of Calvary, and when he cried out from that hill called Golgotha, and he said, it is finished. In that moment, the, the, the skies began to rumble, and the lightning began to strike, and the, and the thunder roared. And we know that the veil in the temple was rent in two and split apart, and, and, it was, and, and the presence of God was no longer just for the high priest, but every believer then had access to the presence of the Lord through the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. But can I tell you that the way to the presence of God was never changed by, God, by Christ. You still came through the gate of thanksgiving into the courtyard of praise, through the altar of sacrifice and the labor of cleansing into the holy place, and finally into the holy of holies. Why? Because you cannot come into the presence of the Lord without clean hands. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? But he has had clean hands and a pure heart. So you see, worship is based upon how we come into the presence of God. First of all, we must know the person and the one that we worship. One of the biggest weaknesses of the church is the lack of an understanding that we have been saved to know God. 
That's, how, that's why we were allowed to come and receive salvation, so that we might know God through Christ our Lord. We are called, and I love this phrase, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. So the question might be this morning, what is it we're preoccupied with? I saw a cartoon not too long ago that showed uh, the, the, through, just through the gates of heaven and, and Peter and some of the angels were, were standing there talking, looking over at some of the, the believers that had, had come into the, into the heavenlies. And, and the comment was, you know, they don't talk much, but they spend a lot of time looking at their thumbs. What are we preoccupied with? Facebook? Twitter? Nothing wrong with those, unless we're preoccupied with those instead of being preoccupied with God. We are saved to be preoccupied with an everlasting preoccupation of God. There is such a casualness about the church today. I'm, I'm kind of, kind of, you know, I'll tell you ahead of time that you're not going to like everything I say. Okay? If you have hard, if you have steel-toed shoes, that's good, because I might step on it just a little bit. I'll be, I'll be easy. But I just want you to know, not everything you're gonna, I'm going to say, you're going to absolutely like. But please listen. There is such a casualness about the church worldwide. I, I'm not, and I'm not just talking about outwardly. <clears throat> But, but there is something about that. I, I, don't have any, I don't have any problem with the fact that we don't wear suits and ties much anymore. Or that women don't wear fancy dresses and hats. My mom loved hats. She would always wear a hat. She was known for her hats. But when I was growing up, my, my dad, you know, we didn't have, any, we didn't have much money, but, but my dad, my mom and dad were very, very strict I mean, when, we, when it came Saturday night, one of the things we did is we pressed our suit and we shined our shoes. I came home from Bible college one time. My dad had wanted me to come and preach. <clears throat> I got up for Sunday or got ready for Saturday night or Sunday, and he looked, I had my suit on, it was all pressed. He looked down, my shoes were a little scuffed. My dad just kind of looked at me, and I knew that look. <clears throat> How many know that look? Oh, yeah. So down I went. Had to polish my shoes. Now, see, I, I'm not, I don't have any problem. To be honest with you, I, I'm not all that hung up on it. Some people are more than me. I, I'm not hung up on the fact that we, you know, we wear shorts to church and we have T-shirts and we have... I, I love being able to preach in, in this kind of outfit. I love it. I, I don't really like ties because it just makes it hard on my voice. But I would, I would challenge the church today that don't let that casualness of appearance and that casualness of coming into the house of God take away from the fact that we are in a holy place and we are here to worship a holy God and there is something good about having some fear moving into the presence of a holy God so that we always have some reverence in our heart about understanding that we're not just coming before daddy. 
He is Abba Father. But we're not just coming before Daddy. We are coming before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one who put the stars in space and hung the worlds in place. And that same God is the one that we come and we are here to worship. <laughs> my, mother, my mother passed away two years ago. And uh, I, was, I was privileged to preach in the in my home church in, in Wisconsin, in Janesville, and uh, it was her last time that she ever heard me preach, and it was actually, I think it was the last time she was able to go to a, to a morning church service. And afterwards, one of the people of the church were around, and, and they said, oh, Marge, you must have been so proud of your son this morning. He preached so good this morning, and he looked so handsome up there. I said, thank you very much. My, my mom said, oh yes, I was very proud of him. But he would have looked so much better if he had a tie on. <laughs> but that, that's my mom, you know? It just, that's, that's what it was. There's something to be said about the fact that in years past, and I'm, I'm not, I don't live back there, trust me, I'm not trying to take you back there. But there is something to be said about the about the philosophy of saying and training that we will do our put on our very best when we come into the house of the Lord. Now, don't don't go out of here saying this guy's uh, he doesn't like it. No, 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 not that at all. I just don't want that philosophy and that casualness to enter into our ability to worship a holy God. Does that make sense? Paul had a great understanding of this fact, as we can see in his words in Philippians chapter 3. He said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the, the righteous that come from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. In heaven, the scripture tells us they don't rest day or night in their ecstatic worship for God. Cherubims and seraphims are offering continual worship. We profess to be heading for that place. So I just think that it makes sense that we should begin now to worship on earth as we will in heaven. We must love, first of all, we must know the one we worship. Secondly, we must love the one we worship. Both the Old Testament and New Testament teach the essence of true worship is love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and all of your might. It's impossible to adequately worship without knowing God. It is just pure impossible to truly worship without Loving God. Love the Lord your God. That was a number one commandment of Jesus. Followed by, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So obedience follows love. So if we truly love the Lord, we will obey his commandments. I don't have time to get into that this morning. Just. 
That's why we teach tithing. Yeah, sure, you've got you to get the money, don't you? Not really. I'm just telling you that obedience follows love. Let me give you some, some levels of love worship. First of all, there's gratitude. Loving God because He has been good to us. Throughout the Old Testament, we will see the phrase, for His mercy endures forever. The Psalms are filled with the phrases of gratitude. Psalm 103, one of my favorites. My soul, praise the Lord, and never forget how kind He is. He forgives all of our sins, all of our sins, all of our sins. Some of us have a lot of sins. Forgives all of our sins and heals all of our sicknesses. He saves us from the grave. He gives us love and compassion. He gives us plenty of good things. Amen? You're going to love this one. I do. My brother. He makes us young again. I'm buying into that. I'm getting old. He makes us young again. That's what it says. I'm just I'm I'm buying that. I'm taking that. Makes us young again. Like an eagle that grows new feathers. <laughs> I'm telling my wife I'm going to get new feathers. But can I tell you that this level of worship is only the beginning. That's the ground level of worship. Gratitude. The ground level. If you don't get past gratitude, you're not going to be where God wants you to be. Admiration. Second level. First gratitude, then admiration. The dictionary says to admire is to regard with wondering esteem accompanied by pleasure and delight. I wonder how many true admirers the Lord has today. It's a sign of our times, wanting all that Christ has to offer without having to give anything of ourselves. It's the entitlement life. If I accept Christ, I'm entitled to everything that He has. If I accept Christ, I'll be an instant success. My business will take off, etc., etc. And you know what? All of that might happen. But what if not? We all know the story of the three Hebrew children and their, their commitment to God. And they said, our God is able to deliver us from the flames of this fire that you're about to throw us in. But if not, But if not, we're still going to worship God. We're not going to bend and we're not going to bow. We're still going to worship God because we have this huge admiration for who our God really is. Thirdly, adoration. Second Corinthians 5.13, if we are out of our mind, how many of you are out of mind? Yep, I know there's some of you here. Because it says, if we are out of our mind, as some say we are, the words of Paul, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's also for you, Lord. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. The idea behind the statement seems to be that the love Paul had for Christ carried him beyond himself and caused him to do extravagant things that to the mind not touched by Christ would seem irrational. Sometimes what we are, are impelled to do by the, our, our love for God 
is not always going to seem rational by the mind that is not filled with the presence of the Lord. Now last week I, I shared with you from the book I've been reading, Not a Fan. And I've been reading it, finishing it for the third time this week. So if you'll allow me, I, I, I want to I share with you another excerpt from that book. And it comes from the story we find in Luke chapter 7. When Jesus was teaching and He was invited to the home of a person from the Sanhedrin, a very religious man. But there was also another part of that character uh, story, and that was the prostitute who had been listening to what Jesus had to say in the marketplace. Picture this scene, if you will. Jesus is reclining at the table. Instead of using chairs, they would lean on an elbow that was propped up by a cushion. Their feet would be away from the table. And the fact that this woman was even there in that house violated everything of that culture. This woman approaches and stands at the feet of Jesus. The table grows silent. Everybody is watching. Everybody knows who she is. What is she doing? She looks around at the guests and she feels some of that familiar glare of condemnation. Others keep their eyes down, embarrassed by her presence and the awkwardness of the moment. But when she looks at Jesus, but when she looks at Jesus, he seems to know what has happened in her heart. He gives her a warm smile, and he seems delighted that she has come. And he looks at her with the eyes of a loving father, watching his beautiful daughter as he, she enters the room. She's never had a man look at her that way before. She is so undone by this that the tears begin to come just a few at first, and then more and more. Soon the tears are just pouring down her face, and they begin to drip onto the dirty feet of Jesus. As she looks at the muddy streak, she suddenly realizes that his feet haven't been washed. She can't ask for a towel, so she lets down her hair, and you need to understand, for a woman to let down her hair in front of any man other than her husband was considered absolutely morally wrong. It was grounds for divorce because it was a sign of intimate expression. She lets her hair down in front of Jesus and there was likely an audible gasp. And she begins washing the feet of Jesus with her tears and drying them with her hair. And then Luke says she had an alabaster jar of ointment. Most likely this refers to a flask that was often worn around the neck of that kind of perfume for women, as you might guess, because of her profession. 
This flask was quite important. She had used it a drop at a time, many, many times for many men, but now she empties the entire flask onto the feet of Jesus. She will not need it anymore. She pours this flask, her life, on the feet of Jesus. Have we done that? And she kisses them over and over. At the end of the story, Jesus said to Simon, whose home he was in, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head and understand that all these things that Jesus is saying should have been the normal thing for a visitor coming into someone's home. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume in the end. The religious leader with all the knowledge, I'm going back to the beginning here, with all the knowledge about God, all the knowledge about Christ, is simply a fan. And the prostitute who intimately expressed her love for Jesus is shown to be the true follower of Christ. Here then is the question you and I have to ask ourselves, who am I in this story? Who am I? See, I told you this book just challenges me every chapter. And I have to ask myself, who am I? I'm a preacher. I've been in this all my life. But I have to ask myself again, who am I in this story? Am I the fan or am I the follower? When is the last time you had a moment with Jesus just like this woman in Luke 7? When's the last time you've poured yourself out before him? When is the last time the tears streamed down your face as you expressed your love for him? Luke, come, would you, wherever you're at. Musicians, are they around? Luke, come. When was the last time you demonstrated your love for him with reckless abandonment? I'm not asking you if you know about him, but I'm asking you, do you know him? Do you know him? Can you worship him? Because you know him and you love him. You've gone beyond gratitude. You've gone beyond just admiration. But now you come to know him. The song that we sang earlier, it's an old hymn of the church, I surrender all. I give it all. Give it all. That's what the Lord's asking from us today. Because if we're ever going to see 
what we claim we want to see. If we're ever going to experience what we say we want to experience, we can give lip service to that. We can say, I want to see people healed. I want to see people delivered. I want to see people totally changed by the power of God. We can say that until we're blue in the face. We can repeat that over and over, but unless we are willing to say, Lord, I surrender all, I come, I come and empty the whole flask on your feet. Unless we're willing to come with total abandonment and say, Lord, I don't really care what anybody else thinks or what anybody else does, but here I am. Here I am. Here I come. And these people that are sitting here, they're looking at me and they're judging me and they're saying, you're some kind of extravagant fool. And I'm simply going to say to them, you are absolutely right. who I am. So, do you know about him? Or do you know him? I've preached to the church this morning. We're the ones that need to hear. I need it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and you're, you're free to do what you want. I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment. And then Luke and the worship team are going to begin to sing. I'm just going to ask you before we leave this place today, just come and stand here with me. And I want you just to present yourself to God. Can we do that? Just present yourself to God. However you need to do that. Maybe you need to empty your flask today. Maybe there need to be some tears that stream down your face. I don't know. I'm not looking for emotion, but I'm looking for devotion. I want to be that kind of person. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah.